Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, I'm Uriah Young and this is the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm here with Jonathan Guide, fellow contributor to the site, and we are here to talk Sixers, all Sixers and nothing but the Sixers. Unfortunately, Chris and Lucas aren't here, but it's all good. We'll pick up the slack. What's going on, Jonathan? Not too much, Uriah. Feeling pretty good going into the second half of the season. Looking forward to, to hopefully a lot more wins and some postseason success, but all good over here. How about you? Hey, I'm looking forward to the championship, man. I don't care who the Nets got. They can sign Andre Drummond. They can sign everybody under the sun. I'm 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 putting money on the Sixers, man. I just got a good feeling. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the Blake Griffin signings that uh, as big as people are making it out to be. I was watching Woj today on ESPN, and he's he's just talking about the initial reporting being like they're signing him, you know, ten years ago, and I, I don't know if it's as big of a piece as some people think. So. We'll see. I think I think some people on social media have this prediction that all of a sudden he's going to be rejuvenated Blake Griffin and all of a sudden he's going to be catching alley-oops left and right. That remains to be seen because we know how many injuries he's had to go through. But but yeah, it's the East is going to come down to Sixers, Nets and Bucks, maybe Miami. But you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Obviously, we were a little disappointed not having uh, Embiid and Simmons playing in the All-Star game this weekend. Last-minute COVID protocols coming down. So just wanted to see how you were feeling. Were you pretty disappointed not seeing them play, or what were your feelings on that? You know, Jonathan, anytime any Sixers make an All-Star game, it, it, it's exciting for me. It's exciting for the fans, and it's good for the city. And I was kind of torn because, well— on one hand, I was looking forward to seeing them out there playing, and and you expect a lot of Simmons dunks and some some dream shakes from Embiid. But at the same time, it could be like a, a, a blessing in disguise because we know that that whole weekend they're down there and and they're well, actually not the whole weekend because it was condensed, but but just to get away from the city, away from their family, and and to get good rest like most of the league is doing and to not risk any type of injury, which I'm convinced last year, Jonathan, and Simmons got hurt on that. He had a dunk in the, in the uh, all-star game. I, yep. I think he, he got hurt, but anyway, so it was, it was, I was excited and I got a little disappointed because it was the day of that everyone found out. But like I said, it, it might've been a blessing in disguise. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it, 
I think it would have been a little tougher if Tobias had been there. I mean, I think we agree that Tobias should have gotten the nod to play. And with that being his first All-Star game, I'm sure it would have been kind of tough news, assuming he obviously would go to the same barber. But I feel the same way you do. It's one less opportunity for them to get hurt. Uh, It allows them to focus on the things that actually matter, like the playoffs and championship, how, how you were saying. So I think that all in all, most of the players thought that this weekend was just kind of forced on them. I think Bradley Beal was saying that the only reason they played is because of the collective bargaining agreement. So I'm not too upset. I, I think I'm in the majority, actually. If you'd ask people around Philly, I think they're kind of happy that they didn't go out and play this exhibition game where there was opportunity to get hurt. Yeah, it was. it's, it's pretty meaningless at the end of the day, especially for a team that has playoff aspirations, and the Sixers definitely do. And we know how important both of these players are to the team. And, and it's just, just wasn't really worth the risk of them going out there and, and, you know, whether they're missing games because of a back injury, foot injury, knee, doesn't matter. Um, it gave them a chance to kind of preserve their bodies. Yeah. So I, I had a question for you. They, I, you did mention the day of, do you think genuinely that they did not interact with any of the other players down there? Even, going into the day of, because that it came out of nowhere and thinking like when I heard the news that they might cancel the all-star game, I didn't know if there was shoot around or something. So it kind of surprised me. I really can't tell. It was kind of vague to me when it was all coming out and you get all these different reporters tweeting stuff and, and you have to look at the timeline. I do think that the whole idea of going to a barber in a city that you're not familiar with. And we know that you know, for whatever reason, down south, they're a little more lax with, you know, preventing COVID because each state has their different uh, regulations and rules. So for them to to go down there and, and go go to a barber, a place that you don't really know, it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I understand wanting to get the haircut looking good for the game, but you think you might do that uh, a, a bit ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. But- I'm um, assuming you watched the All-Star game anyway. Uh, do you have any amazing thoughts that you wanted to share? <laughs> what you uh, thought about the game in general or any of the festivities, honestly? The All-Star weekend, I guess when you're a kid, you really get into it. But as an adult, each year that goes by, you you, you kind of see the same things, especially in the dunk contest. There is nothing new under the sun that NBA players can do when it comes to dunking. So I, I thought that halftime uh, dunk contest it was very brief, which is kind of good in its own way. The three-point contest, Jonathan, I really got into it. Did you see the three-point contest? Yeah, I did. It, it was exciting. Oh, yeah. Curry is clearly the best shooter in the history of the game. And if you look at Mike Conley, when he was performing in, in the contest, I was really surprised. He's come a long way as, as a shooter. When it comes to the game itself – yeah, I actually was kind of flipping channels back and forth. Now, if Embiid and Simmons were playing, I, I definitely would have kept the channel locked in. But the game was just kind of eh, eh, eh. Maybe next year I'll watch it with with our stars. What would you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I understand. I, I do like the new format. Like, I understand them trying to get engagement in making each quarter mean something. And the fourth quarter last year was – incredible to watch they actually played very hard and and they tried to this year but the game was so out of reach by the time they got to the fourth quarter that it, it wasn't even worth it like I think it was almost a 20 point lead going into the fourth quarter and 
they they still definitely played a lot harder, and it was fun to watch that. And that makes the All Star game less of a just like street ball kind of watching <laughs> who can score like two hundred points. So, I mean, the game was it's be- it's better than it was a while ago. But I think you're right. When you're younger, it's it's a lot more enticing and interesting to watch and and sit down and make it a big event. But I couldn't have said it better about the dunk contest. You've seen every single dunk. There's not going to be a better dunk. I think the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon was the best since I've been able to watch it. And uh, the highlight to me was the same that it was for you. It was the three-point contest. When Steph gets on a roll, it's incredible. It's like incredible just to watch. And and that extended into the All-Star game. Some of the shots he was taking, it's just it's unbelievable that someone can make shots like that. And and watching him in the three-point contest knock everything down was unreal. Now, what about – we didn't talk about the skills challenge. I want to hear your opinion about the skills challenge. Do you think it's a, a good part of the weekend, or do you think they should do away with it? Well, I used to like it, but I, I do think they should do away with it because – like more recently because, I mean, you see that I think the past – definitely the past two years, I think three years, the championship have been big men, both big men, and I think it's just that – the smaller guards don't take it as seriously or like the one chest pass is tough and that's pretty much hit or miss. And whoever wins that wins the whole thing. So I don't think it's the best uh, use of time. And I thought maybe if you're cutting down this year, that could be something you could try out not doing, but I I mean, I don't love it. How about you? I think they should keep it. However, I think they need to add something a little bit more challenging (laughs) because if you think about it, it's just dribble between some cones Hit a pass, hit a layup, which I think Chris Paul missed the layup, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Someone missed, some guard missed the layup. But then you yeah, make the layup and then you come down and shoot a three. I want to see something a little bit more, I don't know, maybe another obstacle in it. I don't know if they should, you know, maybe dribble with, uh, with both hands, lefty and righty, and then maybe crisscross or do something other than it just this simplistic form of entertainment, which, as you said, is the big men. When big men start winning, you know that, okay, what's going on with these guards out here? Are they not Are they, Are they? they not <laughs> taking it seriously? And I think that might have something to do with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the, like, almost the entire skills challenge, like, they have kids do most of those things at the Sixers game in, like, halftime shows. So, I mean, I, I think making it a little more challenging would definitely be interesting. Uh, there is one thing I wanted to touch on about the All-Star game going back a week. Did you watch the draft at all when they drafted teams, LeBron and KD? I did. I'm glad you brought that up. What did you, what'd you pick out on that? I I mean, obviously every player there is good, but to me it looked like just watching it, KD seemed pretty disinterested anyway. And I understand that he's not playing, so that takes a big – like he's – the got the most votes. So taking him off the team is a big hurt and then taking Embiid off the team. So I get the size and and the star talent of both of those players makes a disparity, but it just seemed like LeBron picked much better. He was more engaged and, and I thought it was going to be kind of how it turned out from the time they drafted. Yeah. I, I do think that KD was more nonchalant about it, but I guess maybe that's the, the LeBron James entertainer side, uh, you know, he's yeah. such a mogul. He's such an icon. He, he feels like he has to just bring it right. Here's the thing. When they selected, well, obviously Katie picked Embiid as, as a high, I think it was a second pick and Simmons was picked by LeBron. I don't know if you noticed the little 
dialogue they had back and forth about picking Ben Simmons. LeBron was labeling him the, I think the hardest worker plays every play. And, and then before they moved on, KD was like, Oh man, I wanted Ben Simmons. And they, they chuckled a little bit. I don't know. I, maybe I sensed a little sarcasm in Durant. Did you feel I that too? I could definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, I think LeBron and Ben have a great relationship. So, yeah, I think if there was sarcasm, it was from KD's side. But I did notice that back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And plus, he's he signed on LeBron's label, or I guess label is with his company as um, his management. So it, it's no surprise that he chose Ben Simmons. But, yeah, I picked up on a little chuckle there from KD. I'm thinking, is that, does he really mean that? What's going on there? But, you know, we'll never know. I think it's extremely interesting. I mean, I know it's just two players, but they're two of the best players in the league right now. How they view the talent that's in the pool. Like, obviously, LeBron tweeted that uh, Devin Booker was the most underrated player when he was left off originally from the All-Star game, who he then replaced AD, but then he himself got replaced for an ankle injury. But um, it's interesting seeing how they pick. And, and Charles kept saying, like, the Utah Jazz sl- uh, slander. And it, I didn't know if... <laughs> If because the Jazz had the best record, and I know that the Jazz think people don't give them enough credit, but I didn't know if maybe it was kind of a little shot at the Jazz players that the Nets and the Lakers, the two next or two of the next three best records, are kind of saying, like, we don't think they're as good as maybe the people who pick them are. Well, no, it's, it's like LeBron said, growing up as kids, they never picked the Utah Jazz in NBA Jams or any of the other basketball. EA sports game. So maybe, I, I don't know, maybe the Utah Jazz has this stigma behind it where it's not as a, a basketball city where entertainment is is a huge part of what they bring to the table. Although Donovan Mitchell is a nice player with athleticism. But yeah, I mean, come on, Rudy Gobert, come on. I mean, yeah. Is anybody paying money to see Rudy Gobert? No, no I get Gobert. that completely. But I, I said that before Charles said this, I had said it to my roommate. I was like, LeBron legitimately just said, I need size, and he picked Sabonis over Gobert. Oh, and Charles brought it up later, yeah. and I was like, okay. this is insane. Like, you have a two-time – I I don't – well, I'm not a Rudy Gobert stan at all, but if you're saying you need size and he's a two-time defensive player of the year and you just – You're right. Like, you're right. I, I missed that. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, that is a shot. You're right. That is kind of a shot. So we're going to switch gears now away from the All-Star game, and we're going to get down to – player grades, midseason grades for the 76ers. And we're going to focus, Jonathan, on the players who saw the most relevant minutes up to this point in the season. So we'll start with the bench and then we'll work our way towards the starters. All right. So let's go with a young player, one of the youngest players on the team. And he was drafted last uh, offseason. He was a second round pick. Let's go with Isaiah Joe. I'm going to give Joe a C, and I know that might seem kind of low, and as you mentioned, he's a rookie, late second-round pick, but I did expect him to earn some minutes based on his shooting ability. I didn't know too much about him coming out, but did some research, research, looked into him, and I mean, he's averaging league average, which is 38%, and that's definitely good for a rookie, but I just think that the Sixers kind of expected, they're building this team full of shooters. That's what you have Seth for, that's what you have Danny Green for. That's what you kind of want to have some more players on the bench for. So I think they thought Joe might be able to provide that along with Furkan. And I just think I was a little disappointed in the development so far. 
I, I agree. Uh, he is supposed to be a sharpsman, and him coming in, breaking all types of records in his conference, three-pointers made, and even foul shooting. If that's Not that that's a big deal, but he's a shooter. His expectations for me was he wasn't going to get a lot of time. And because he did have a stretch of games where he was shooting very well from behind the three-point line, uh, that's why I gave him that plus. I gave him a little bit, a little bit higher than your grade. So you gave him a C, I gave him a C plus. And and I hope he bounces back in the G League. I, I saw he had a poor outing recently. Yeah, but he's young. He he'll find his he'll find his way, and and I'm sure he'll develop into a, a decent player. So let, let's go now to uh, another important three point shooter in the team, much longer in the tooth than Isaiah Joe. I'm speaking of no one other than. Mr. Tattoo, ain't no B, Mike Scott. Yeah, Mike this? Scott. Yeah. I'm a bit I'm definitely a supporter of the Beehive and and uh not punny at all, but he's in the he's between B and B minus. Um I think I might be high on him here, but I think I remember uh, a couple podcasts ago, Chris, Lucas, you and I were discussing who you'd rather have uh from prior teams versus current, and it was like Mike Scott or Ennis. I think I was in the minority choosing Mike Scott. Between the four of us. Yeah, I remember um, that. I remember that. I, he's only played 17 games, so I don't think it's fair to judge him on his lack of productivity or ability to kind of get into a flow. I think he's a quality bench player who could get some uh, playoff time if they need someone. Like you said, he can shoot the three. I think he's just a decent role player, and I think he's lived up to that this year. Yeah, I, I got to go lower with Scott. I'm giving him a C, which is higher than what I've given him let's say in the beginning of the season, let's say the first 10 games, because he has one job to do basically. And that is to shoot threes and obviously, you know, play some defense. uh, And and he does an okay job with that. He just seems like he's slowing down to me. He's not as fast as he used to be. He'll get rebounds. And, and I guess he's the quote unquote team enforcer. If someone gets in someone's face, he'll be right there to, to back his man or his teammate. I just think I expect more from Scott, uh, more consistency from three-point shooting. If he was shooting at a higher percentage, I might give him a B, but I think he I think he has a long way to go if he's ever going to, you know, crack, let's say, 20 minutes a game, if that'll ever happen. So let's move on to another rookie, and this was our first-round pick. And I tell you, Jonathan, people were high on this guy after that Denver game. I think he put up 39 points. No yep. one saw that coming. No one saw that coming. But for some reason, he's fallen out of rotation. But let's see what you give Tyrese Maxey for a grade. Yeah, it's a shame he's fallen out of the rotation. I'm giving him a B plus. Again, I may be optimistic here. Maybe it's because I was writing about him up and up leading up to the draft. But I think his impact was like we saw his ceiling or or what the potential, I guess, is a better word. I think we saw his potential when Ben got hurt. Obviously, Mm -hmm. that game where he went off and put up 39, but. He had a bunch of other games, I think, around that time where he was putting up 20, 20 or more. And I think he's shown talent. I don't think he's had the opportunity, which maybe he doesn't deserve on the current roster. He's still young. But I think his potential um, is what made me elevate him to a B plus. I, I, I would give Maxi at this point. I give him a C. It would be as high as yours. But I feel like he teased us. And I'm mad at him because <laughs> he kind of <laughs> he kind of fell off. So he, he brought he brought me up to like a B plus because he exceeded expectations and he showed flashes of I'll say it 
and I'll just say it, get it out the way. Flash is a brilliance with this yeah. teardrop, his unwillingness to back down from, from older, more mature seasoned veterans. He just would take it at anybody, right? And then he yeah. just kind of fizzled out. Doc Rivers, for whatever reason, probably for matchup purposes and maybe practice, he wasn't showing the team what he, he, he had shown in, earlier in the season. But I, I'll give Tyrese a C, and uh, hopefully he can – bounce back in the second half of the season. All right, let's get to uh, the Turkish sensation for a kind of Korkmaz. Jonathan, where are we going? Uh, Korkmaz is my guy. So again, I think I'm going to be leaning high. Maybe it's just because I'm optimistic, but I give him a B minus. And I know he's struggled at points this year, but the thing about him is I think people thought he was going to be a good three-pointer and maybe kind of transition into a three and D player. And that would be maybe his role going forward. I don't know if people thought he may try to step in and obviously not be JJ, but be able to be a three-point shooter if the team didn't pick up free agents. But he's developed his game beyond that. And maybe it's not great at the moment, but he's not just a three-point shooter. He can get to the rack. Um, he's learning how to create his own shot. So I'm I'm still optimistic on him. He's young, uh, and he seems like he fits well on this team. I, I think maybe this year his play puts him in the C level, but seeing that his game could potentially be more than just kind of a wing shooter is why I was uh, putting him in the B minus. If I could unzip or unlock the psyche of Furkan Korkmaz, first thing I would try and, and get to the bottom of his is his shooting confidence. He's a very confident player. And once he gets going, he is lights out. I mean, there's been several games in the past where he's hit, you know, two threes, and then going into the half, he's made four threes, and then he might go cold, but they need that shooting from him. They rely on him so much, and you're right. He is a, a much more complete player than I think most fans will give him, not on the defensive side, but he can get to the lane. He could pull that pump fake and watch the guy, you know, jump 20 feet in the air and sail right past him. So I think that shows his intelligence and his instincts as a player. He can only get better. And I think Ben Simmons, knock on wood, in the playoffs, Korkmaz will benefit a lot more than what he showed in the playoffs last year because Ben wasn't there. So I think I think Furkan, I'll give him a B minus, just like you gave him. And and I'm looking forward to him stepping his game up even more. So let's go to Dwight Howard. Uh he's our backup center to Embiid, obviously. What do you give Dwight for a grade? This is a purely comparison-based grade. So I'm giving him an A-, minus, but I'm going to explain it. And I think if Chris wow. listens to this. Chris wow, you going to, A? Okay. If Chris, <laughs> if Chris listens to this and wants to bring me back on and have full conversations about this, I'm willing to. <laughs> I don't think Dwight Howard, I want to be very clear, I don't think Dwight Howard has played up to the level of an A. But I want us as Sixers fans to think back comparatively to the backup centers we have had. He is an absolute upgrade. I understand he's a shell of the person he was in Orlando. He fouls a lot. Uh, he can't really shoot. But thinking about Greg Monroe going like minus 11 in a minute 12 or whatever that was in the playoffs or Big, mm. Al, at, Big Al last year just absolutely struggling left and right. I mean, mm. I by no means am defending Dwight Howard. I don't think he's an incredible player uh, this year at all. And if we were just going to base it off his play, my grade would be lower. But I wanted to put this in a comparative um, standpoint for the fans and Chris and hope that you could understand why I'm saying this because 
Dwight Howard may not be the best option, but just think about the ability for Embiid to actually get some rest. And I think that that's a reason that Embiid is looking so good. He's obviously come back in better shape, but having someone who can genuinely give him time on the bench, that's where I put uh, Dwight. I think just for mentioning Al Horford in this podcast, Chris is going to get get really mad at you. <laughs> just bringing up <laughs> Al Horford. We'll never allowed back on. Uh, I, I was probably the, the only Al Horford defender on the show and, I felt like in all of Philadelphia. But anyway, let's get to Howard. I think I'm not going to do a comparative perspective like you did. I'm just going to say, based on what he's shown us, I give him a B minus. I think he came as advertised as a defender of of the paint, rebounder, energy guy. The brightest surprise for myself, and I'm sure you and other people who had heard of his reputation coming to the Sixers, you know, being in the league on, I don't know, 20 different teams. I'm exaggerating, obviously. He wasn't really that great of a teammate. There's all types of drama and kind of aloof behavior. But he's been a really good locker room guy, and it's been a pleasant surprise. But overall, I just give him a B-. minus. I think he's doing a decent job. Uh, some games he doesn't produce or he kind of disappears or maybe he's in foul trouble. But I, I give Dwight Howard a, a B-. minus. So let's go to our, our beloved sixth man. Shake Milton, what do you give him? I'm giving him a B. I think he's becoming an actual legitimate threat for the Sixers as the sixth man and being the best bench player on the team. I'm just slightly disappointed after he had that run of 10 games leading up to um, the season being canceled last year. He just looked like, uh, a, like a star almost for those 10 games, and I know that's saying a lot. He's young, and he, I mean, there's not – a big track record, but I was, that's why I'm a little disappointed. I think he's playing extremely well. I think that if he was playing a little better than Maury and some of the other organization, maybe wouldn't be looking for a backup point guard, like a veteran. But uh, I think they are because they are, were hoping they could get more out of him. Um, but I think he's, he's what people thought Trey Burke could be. He's a spark off the bench. He, he scored 31 in one game this year and he can score when he needs to. I'm going to mirror your grade. I'll give Shake Milton a B as well. I, I, I'm i going to go back to his rookie season. I might have said it before in the podcast. I have always been a Shake Milton believer. I saw that his first year, I think that was the year last year, Fultz was here, and you're able to juxtapose their play. Here you have a number one draft pick uh, out of Washington, Markel Fultz, and he is not doing what he's expected. Nowhere near the player that we we had hoped. And then here you have this guy at SMU that no one ever heard of, Shake Milton. And he seemed his rookie year like he belonged. He he played like he was not a rookie. Now, three years later, in the beginning of the season, people were talking about maybe he could be the sixth man of the year candidate. Now, that high level of play that you mentioned earlier, 10 games into the season, has kind of dwindled. However, like you said, he can score. He gives you that offense that will help keep the team afloat or at least maintain some type of lead. I just wish he was more consistent. I wish he was more like maybe 15, 16 points a game. But but yeah, I think Shake is – he had a decent first half of the season, and they're going to need him. They're going to need him majorly as the season progresses. All right, now we get into the starters, everyone. Let's get to um, – Danny Green, what do you give him? 
BG, I'm giving a D. He's struggling really Ouch. hard. Ouch. I know. I know. And when, when Danny came over, I was like, this is a guy. I think people are high on Seth Curry. Um, but I think Danny Green, they should be just as high on. And I felt extremely let down. I mean, <laughs> D is for Danny. <laughs> D is for Danny. That's what it is. <laughs> he's struggling hard. And he's, I mean, he can knock down a string of them. But like you were saying with Shake, like consistency is key. And Danny's not being consistent. I mean, he sh- I think he is shooting better than he shot with the Lakers last year, but he's eight points off his uh, two-year-ago average with the Raptors. He was shooting 45, which obviously was his career high, but he's down at 37.7, which is below league average. And for coming over being a guy who's known for – well, I mean, was known for 3 and D, and, and his D is struggling because he – He's getting old. He's losing a step. So now you're relying on the three-point shot for his value, and he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it to the level he did. So he's not a big of a, as big of a threat to keep defenders honest, and I'm, I'm just pretty disappointed. I can't go just straight up D for Danny, <laughs> but I'm not going to you know, push him up in the B realm. I'm going to give him a C minus, so a little bit higher than you. I think when it comes to green – his numbers aren't as great as they were when he was in Toronto, but I think they're comparable to last year. He's a decent three-point shooter. He's hovering around 40% for his career, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And But he does nothing else, really. He's not a good driver. He's not a good passer. He's a decent defender. However, I think when it comes to – I think fans – if look, if you have one job to do and your job is to be consistent with it, then you need to do it. And Danny is not as consistent as a shooter as, as we as we hoped. And when he has some bad games, Jonathan, oh, he has some bad games. I mean, the, yeah. he, he, the, he can he can't throw he can't throw it into the ocean sometimes. And when it's games like that, it makes you say, God, why did we pick him up from LA? But I think he went 0 for 9 that one game. And that that was something that really bothered me. Not that he went 0 for 9, but there that video went viral of him walking off the court and someone said yeah. something at him and he said he got he had like three rings. Three rings, yeah. Like you can't sit on your past successes, especially if that's your comeback. Like you shot awful. Get back in the gym and, and yeah. show what you can do, but just kind of like having that attitude. Yeah. I don't know. And and some of those some of those turnovers that he makes, you're thinking, wait a minute, is he a rookie or is he an <laughs> NBA veteran, three time champion, making some of these boneheaded passes or or just moves? But yeah, Green Green gets a D for you, C minus for me. Let's move on to the other Sixers guard, and that would be the brother of the three point champion, and it would be Seth Curry. What grade you give Seth? Given Seth an A minus, I think uh, people might see that he struggled lately, and obviously that he had COVID, so that's going to affect him in some way. But he's still shooting incredible, and also his performance before he um, had to take the break was incredible. I think oh, he was yeah. shooting like fifty seven percent from three, and like he was killing it, yeah, hundred percent foul shots, like. Even if he didn't get sick, that productivity is not going to keep up. I mean, he can still do great, but I I don't think he's fallen off as much. Like, I don't think it can be as much attributed to the sickness. Obviously, that's going to be a factor. We've heard Jason Tatum and other players say that the recovery, like, they still feel the effects. And I think that Seth will definitely be feeling the effects for a little bit. But 
I think he's settling in where he should be on the team, and I think he gets an A minus. I, I give Seth a B minus. His shooting has been critical for the success of uh, the offense and the system that they run, and and just spreading the floor for Embiid so he can go to work. I, I think whether it's COVID or not, he's he's kind of been in a slump, and he he really hurt us in that one game. Uh, who was the game before Utah? Um, or no, 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 no. It was the game. I think it was the Cleveland game where he had a really tough shooting night and he could not hit. Yeah. He, he could not hit it. And that was again, I think if he just hits just one three pointer, we, we end up uh, winning that game. But I, I do think Curry is, is a very key player. I think for him to come here and get a B minus or be in the B range is, is probably bigger than what a lot of people expected. Cause no one knew what we were getting. The question comes to everybody's mind is why did Dallas give him up? If he's such a great shooter, why did they give him up? Yep. But, but yeah, he's, I, I give him a B minus. And now let's go to the Sixers big three. Tobias Harris, what grade to give him? Yeah, I co-sign your support of Tobias. I think it's a big three. I mean, he's an, he gets an A this year. I think he's indisputably an all-star. Um, he's playing incredible the best of his career and obviously we have to give some of that credit to Doc Rivers because when the Sixers initially made the trade to get Tobias he was playing with the Clippers under Doc and he was playing incredibly that's why the Sixers wanted him they wanted to use him as a piece to try and advance to the NBA finals and they couldn't get it done And after he signed that big contract last year he just fell off a cliff and I think that people were concerned and and very understandably but He's bounced back, and I don't know if you can say he deserves to be the highest-paid player on the on the team, but he's absolutely in the in this conversation of having a big three. Yeah, Harris. I've always liked Harris's game, and I think, like you said, when he played with Doc, he was a much much better player in terms of how Doc was using him, maximizing his talents and skills. If you look at what he did last year with the Sixers, he I guess he had a quote unquote off year, but you got to consider. And I think someone made a point of this in the media is that Brett Brown did not have him doing certain things that Doc is, for instance, going left. And he said, hey, look, Brett told me to do this. I'd, I'd do it his way. He's the coach. But now, because Doc is familiar with Tobias and knows what he's good at, he drives left now. And if you remember against the Lakers, which way did he drive for that game winner? He drove left. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I give him an A. He's been probably the steadiest player for the Sixers scoring wise rebounds. He'll give you seven, eight boards a night. And I think if Embiid is having an off night, I think Tobias can step up with the scoring. And if you think about the Utah overtime game, yeah. what happened, what happened in overtime Embiid, I guess maybe he's getting winded or maybe doc wanted to give them another look as opposed to just pound, pound, pound and beat and beat and beat. They let Tobias go to work. And it hey, worked. Like 11. Yeah. Yeah. So Tobias gets an A from me. I, I think he's having a, a great season. All right. Let's go to uh, the Sixers point guard. None other than the all-star himself, Mr. Ben Simmons. What are you giving Ben? I'm, I'm going to give him an A minus, but I was leaning A minus B plus. I mean, I understand he can be frustrating at times. He's one of the most frustrating players to watch, but I truly think a, a switch flicked recently i mean i think he scored 42 or it was like his season high 
um, when Ben or when Joel was out a couple weeks ago. And since then, he's just been so aggressive. I mean, the he can't shoot narrative, I understand it's there. It's never going to leave. So, I mean, it's just getting kind of annoying. I understand that people think like James Harden, a player like that, or or some other player fits better with Joe. But this aggressive Ben who gets to the basketball, goes to the hoop, and he's not looking to pass, and he's just getting his points up, I think that player, if he continues to play that way, he gets an A-, and I think he will continue to play that way. I've been probably one of the most critical people on the podcast about Ben Simmons. No, I have been the most critical and, and and I don't, I don't want fans or even Ben Simmons. If he listens to this, I don't want anyone to think that I don't like his game or I don't like him. I'm critical of him because he has such just amazing talent, tremendous talent offensively and defensively. I think he should be defensive player of the year. Hands down. There's no question in terms of his offense, like you said, the narrative about shooting, that's never going to go away. I think Barkley, Charles Barkley nailed it. He said when the playoffs come around, the ball will find the person or the player that can't shoot. And once if that happens again, and I pray that it doesn't, uh, it, it could be another another sad song um, because so much is is riding on each possession in the playoffs. But Simmons, it's amazing. See, he's the perfect Example, Jonathan, of how sports is mental. Everything is mental. Could you imagine if Ben Simmons had Tyrese Maxey's attitude? Maxey isn't afraid of anything. Imagine if Ben had that mentality. Let's go to the, the final player, our most valuable player, not just for the team, but I know you feel the same way, but for the entire league. What do you give Joel Embiid? Yeah, I mean, he gets an A+, and people can call us homers or bias or whatever, but I mean, is there any other grade for him? He's he's dominant. He's quite literally defines the word unguardable. He's second in the league in points, which in the top eight in points per game, there's only one other non-guard. I mean, scoring, this is a guard scoring league, so for him to be second in the whole league at points, it's he's dominating other players. I, and one of the the greatest marks people say of a good season is people who hit the 50, 40, 90 club, which is 50% shooting from the field, 40% from the three point line and 90% from free, three, three throws. There's only eight people done it in history. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a few percentage points off on the free throws from hitting that. And a big man shooting 42% from three and just dominating the game. He, the way he is, he's absolutely the MVP and he deserves an A plus. Hey, I, I can't argue with that. Before I get my Joel Embiid grade, I, I just got to tell a quick story. Okay, so wife and I, we ended up going to the uh, Jackson Outlets. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like clothing outlets, the guest outlet, okay. uh, Old Navy outlet. They all these outlets. So we go to the Under Armour outlet, a huge store. And there's a big billboard of Steph Curry on the outside. I mean, huge. I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get some Under Armour stuff. And you know who I thought of, right, when I went into the store? MB. Yeah, exactly. So I'm excited. And it's Saturday. It's right before the All-Star game. So I'm hyped up for the Sixers and Embiid. So we walk into the store, and some young girl, she's a teenager, she's handing out these 10% coupons. She's like, oh, here, you can get 10% off if you buy $50 more of whatever. So I said, all right, thank you. And I immediately said, where's your Embiid stuff? And she just looked at me like I was crazy. I said, and then I thought it was my mask, right? So I kind of 
pulled my mask <laughs> away, not down, but away. And it's like, where's your Embiid stuff? And I'm, and I was probably a little too effusive or, or loud. And she was like, Who, who's that? I said, you don't know who Joel Embiid is? Oh, and she was, and she was like, no, I, I'm more into football. And I said, well, I mean, you got Steph Curry and then you got, you know, Steph Curry. She says, oh yeah, I know, I know Steph Curry. So anyway, make a long story short, I go find some stuff. I get like this hat, you know, I bought some shorts and some, some other gear and I'm heading out the store and I say to the same girl, I says, you got to get some more Embiid stuff in here. And she started laughing and I walked out and she probably thought it was crazy because I was just obsessed with Joel Embiid. But I think the moral of the story is Under Armour has to do a better job marketing yeah. Embiid. I don't know how you feel about that, but I didn't see any posters in there. I didn't even see his sneakers in there. So I got to be honest, that's beyond surprising. Like I, I, I'm stunned to hear you say that. But yeah, I mean, they do. And it's not like we're in in Tennessee, right? We're it's in Jersey. Yeah. It's in Jersey. But anyway, so I give I, I just everything you said, man. A plus MVP. Those shooting percentages that you that you nailed home are are perfect. And for him to be a big man. Averaging over thirty is is pretty impressive. So I, I I definitely think he he's an A plus, A plus. Love to hear that. That's that's what we want. So obviously the uh, trade deadline's coming up, along with some buyout market. So there's two players that are playing for the Magic right now who are thirteen and twenty three records. So obviously they're looking to um, make some deals, maybe rebuild with some picks. So two names out right now are. Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on these players and which one you'd rather have if it was a possibility for the Sixers. Last week we we went into obviously Kyle Lowry talk and then Blake Griffin was he was up in the air to buy out, but we all know he went to, to the Nets by now. But to hear these two players from the Magic, it actually kind of makes sense that Orlando would would deal one of these guys. To be honest though, Jonathan, I feel like they're the same player. They both have great offensive skill, which is what the Sixers are missing, especially off the bench. I think either one of them, uh, Terrence Ross or Fournier, could give Shake a little more help with scoring. Fournier is two years younger. He's an unrestricted free agent uh, in, in this upcoming offseason. So Orlando could part ways to get more value uh, if he decides to leave. Uh, I think I don't know who I would want. It's really a coin flip for me. It, it all depends on who, who we'd have to give up. Who, who do you like better? Yeah, I mean, I think they're very, very similar as well. I, this was a tough question when I was looking into it, but I think I'd rather slightly have slightly rather have Terrence Ross. I think he's an athletic wing, which is something that you can't really have too much of. I mean, I know we have a lot of guard play. I know we have a lot of wings, and it's hard to get them all in the rotation. But they're very similar players, and if you're asking me to pick one, I think I'd, I'd prefer the player who – can create his own shot a little better. I think Evan Fournier plays off the uh, um, plays point a little more than and a different style game. So I think I'd rather have Ross if I had to make a pick. But you did mention um, you think it would depend on who you have to give up. So what what kind of package are you thinking the Sixers would have to give up to land one of these two? Well, I think Vucevic's days are, are numbered. I think he's somehow, some way, he might ask his way out because he's been there so long and it just hasn't worked out for him. He's, he's such a great player, all-star. So they might be in rebuild mode uh, sooner than later in terms of what the Sixers have to offer. I, I definitely don't want to give up Maxi 
and I don't want to give up Shake. Mike Scott, he's an expiring contract. You know, maybe they they take him in a trade, maybe Danny Green in future picks, but I don't think I'm willing to give up Maxi and uh and Shake. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the uh, Magic are looking for a more like pick centric deal. I think like I think as I said, I wasn't too impressed with Danny Green earlier. That's who I would lead with. I'm not sure that that's a player that they would want or if they would just take him and buy him out or something like that. But Danny Green, some picks. I mean, you could maybe convince me to to talk about Thibault, but I think that's for other guards. I think that's if you're going like Lowry or something. I think he's too valuable to to give up for one of these players in the Magic. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, maybe, maybe Orlando will throw Markel Fultz in that deal, bring him, <laughs> bring him back home. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Could you imagine if he came back to Philly? Ugh, oh, God. That would be that strange. Would be, yeah. All right, so let, let's move on. And we're going to transition to a topic that popped up right before the All-Star break. And that was a, an interview that Joel Embiid had during a press conference following the Utah Jazz game. If people didn't see it, Joel Embiid actually called out a journalist by name, and he's the Sixers beat writer, Keith Pompey, friend of the show. He's been on several times. So he was basically being asked about his play and and going up against Rudy Gobert. And Embiid said, uh, and he mentioned Pompey, he said, yeah, it looks like I was very, very scared of him talking about Rudy Gobert. So yeah, keep talking. My question to you Jonathan, is do we think that Embiid chooses when he wants to play based on matchups? Because the accusation, I guess, uh, that was coming, I don't even think it was an accusation. It's just Pompey was just pointing out that Embiid misses games against elite centers. So do you think Embiid chooses when he wants to play based on matchups? I I do not, just generally. I I, I think that this is a topic I've been looking forward to discussing. Um, I think Embiid obviously does have final say on if he's going to play. I think that's fair for him uh, with kind of him knowing himself the best. And he seems to be playing out of his mind this year. So if he wants to decide when he's going to play, that's fine. But one thing I was interested in is the players that he was saying elite are the ones that he missed the matchups against. He included Jonas Valanciunas from the Grizzlies and – Miles Turner from Indiana, and those are matchups I think Embiid has played well against. And and to be completely honest, they're not centers that I mean I wouldn't put him in elite, and I also wouldn't be afraid to play him if I was Embiid. Same with Andre Drummond in this list, and I'll just name the other two for sake. It was Jokic and Demontis Sabonis he included from the Pacers too. But I think he can choose whether or not he wants to play. But I don't think it's at all based on matchups. I think that. He, it's interesting him calling out a reporter by name. That's something that you rarely see, but he's right. He put up 40 and 19 against Rudy Gobert. He was, Gobert was the two-time defensive player of the year in 18 and 19. And the last four years, he's been first team, all defensive team. So I don't think Embiid's scared of anyone and he's proving it with this play. I think it's an extremely interesting topic to talk about and kind of look into, but I don't think he decides based on matchups. How about you? Yeah. Well, I just I think this reminds me of the Iverson rant years ago. I'm sure people are more than familiar with it. We talking about practice, the whole practice rant. I remember watching that live 
And I, I remember him, he called out a reporter and he was the former beat writer for the Sixers. And he was going back and forth with Phil Jasner, you know, rest in peace, Phil Jasner. And I remember Iverson taking shots at Jasner that, you know, oh, you, well, you, what do you know? You didn't play basketball. And then Jasner said, well, actually I did. And, and then AI, who I think he had a couple Coronas in him at the time. I think he knew that. <laughs> he was like, he's like, oh yeah, I never heard of Phil Jasner, the basketball player. It, it was just, it was pure comedy. It was, it, but it got a little personal there. So I don't, I didn't get that vibe from Embiid though when he 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 mentioned Keith Pompey. To answer your question, I wouldn't be surprised if he chose to sit certain games, but I, I and that's probably because of. You know, maybe he needs a rest on a back-to-back. Uh, he's trying to preserve his body. But I do think that um, I agree with you. He's not trying to avoid any players. I think he wants to – I think he's hit a point in his career, Jonathan, where he he really feels like he has something to prove, not just to the fans but to himself. And for him to cower against anybody, whether it's Gobert or or um, uh, Gasol, he I don't think that's in his his plans anymore, at least – if it ever was. So when you say that you think that it's a little bit though, or is it kind of like, he's not, that's not the main reason, but there might be a little bit in the back of his head being like, I need a break coming up soon. There's like one matchups clearly harder than the others. Is that, is that kind of how you feel? No, no. I, I think it's okay. more based on his body and okay. knowing, you know, if, if, if they play, let's say Miami on a, you know, first night of a back to back, and then they have to play Orlando on the next. Uh, I mean, he might get up for that Miami game, but if his back needs a rest, then hey, sit out against a, a struggling subpar team like Orlando. Yeah, and I think I think like Doc has they have that conversation. Like I think there's other people involved. It's like, look, there's this back to back coming up, and I mean, obviously before this season or, or maybe it was before 2019, he didn't play any back to backs, and I think that conversation he has good input in, but. I think it's more than him that decides it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that. All right. Um, next question, last question. Do we think that NBA players use media criticism as motivation sometimes? Yeah, so I undoubtedly think they do. I think we would be naive as the public if we think that they don't hear criticism. I understand players like not being consumed by it or doing their best to avoid media stories, but there's no way that everything is avoided. And and these little stories or quotes definitely leak in and the players hear it. And I, I think just being professionals, they obviously take some, like they are motivated, motivated by it. It's something someone's criticizing their play or talking negatively about them. And you want to prove them wrong. I think that that competitive mindset is in every single player, uh, especially professional basketball players. So I think they use it as motivation, um, whether they say publicly they do or not. What do you think? I think they do. I think as clearly as Embiid has shown us, he reads what people are writing about him. And, you know, these guys are human. These guys are can be as sensitive as, as the next person. And I think the assumption is, oh, they make millions and everyone adores them. They get all this uh, praise for being superhuman athletes but yet you know everyone has an ego and i think some players you know they might listen to a podcast or they might watch you know espn highlights or what commentators have to say and and i do think that some do not a lot do i think 
certain players, especially veterans like LeBron and KD and all those guys, they may not take it to heart as much as they used to because we know KD is <laughs> Mr. Burner himself. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they do sometimes. And sometimes they, they might need that. And if you look at what Jordan did when he was playing, he used anything he could for motivation on games that – may have been middle of the season and, you know, you know do I need to, what do, where do I need to go mentally to, to score 30 and, and, you know, get another W. So, so yeah, I think they do. Yeah. I think I, it's really interesting. You bring up Jordan. I literally just finished reading the book, the Jordan rules. I got interested in it after the uh, uh, 30 for 30 documentary, obviously, but there's stuff in there about like Jordan makes stuff up, like whether it's true or not about, people he's playing or things that were said. And, and he went to a level of like saying things were true in his mind just to get him to motivate himself. So yeah, I think players use all kinds of different ways to, uh, to motivate themselves. Like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Jonathan, I've had a great time. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for jumping on here with me, with, with Chris and Lucas being out. Absolutely. I had a, I had a blast tonight talking sexes with you. All day, every day. And and for the people who are listening, uh, don't forget, Jonathan writes for the site and he really dives into some analysis and great opinion pieces about our 76 or so. So, yeah, definitely check out uh, Jonathan. And uh, you're on Twitter, right, Jonathan? I'm not, but you can yeah, just go to Sixer Sense, search up some of my uh, use my name and just search through some of the articles. I appreciate what you said. Yeah, there you go. And to all the Sixers fans out there, listen. We're excited as you are for the rest of the season, but we're also thrilled to keep bringing Sixers Sense content to connect with the best NBA fans in the world, which is you guys. But do us a favor, though, all right? If you're listening, please leave a comment, all right? Rate us on Google Play, iTunes, or wherever you're listening. And if you really want to do us a solid, share this episode, any of our pod episodes for that matter, uh, with any anybody that you know who's a fellow Sixers fan, right? Family members, friends, coworkers, tweet it, text it, Facebook it. I don't even know that if that's the right term, but share, <laughs> share, share. So until next time, guys, go Sixers and thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.